All right, so I'm here with Chad, uh, and uh, he runs a diagnostic company uh, that uh, a device that goes essentially on your toilet seat that uh, allows you to diagnose patients. Um, so do you want to tell me a little bit more about that and uh, kind of how you got involved with this company? You bet. Yeah, so I, I actually come from the diagnostics, life sciences industry. I spent about 25 years working for the big, you know, big uh, Fortune 50 companies doing that. And I was on a tour with some investors uh, to actually manage a portfolio fund uh, for one of the investors uh, for, for Hall Labs. And I was introduced to, to Medic Life. And when I saw the, the capability and the elegance of the solution really to get after some of the biggest challenges from a chronic disease standpoint, it just blew me away. And so I started engaging with the company and before too long, they, uh, they offered me the, the CEO position. And so uh, here I am three months later. So, so, so tell me, how does the, the device work and in what, bathrooms does it go into does it is it in does it mainly go into like nursing facilities or yeah so it, there's you, i guess the easiest way to, to think about it is there's a, there's several products yeah uh and the, the the first problem we're trying to solve is early detection so if you think about 70 percent of our healthcare costs are are preventable illnesses the problem is majority of people don't know they actually have it. If you think about uh, people that are uh, uh, pre-diabetic, it's almost 88 million U.S. adults are pre-diabetic. Eight in 10 don't know they have it. Wow. <laughs> same with hypertension. Same with uh, usually if you have those, do you have chronic kidney disease? Uh, you know, and so that's really the first, first, first problem we're trying to solve is a very simple solution so that, and basically every time you go to your bathroom, you're kind of, uh, you have valuable data that's just going down the drain. And so that's, that's what the first problem is, really early prediction. So we're predicting risk of these diseases, making sure that the, that the user or the patient knows about them, as well as connecting with their primary care uh, providers. Uh, as far as the markets we're going after with that is the consumer market. Uh, so uh, as well as uh, uh, senior living facilities, so independent as well as assisted living where chronic diseases are so high. Uh, uh, retail clinics is another area of focus for us. Again, just the move from primary care to retail clinic to get, you know, basically what the primary care physician does is another market uh, uh, that we're, we're going after. So uh, how does it diagnose patients? I'm kind of curious as to how it actually works. Can you go? Yeah, so like the, the, fir the, the first product, and then we'll get into the second one, is actually once you already know you have a disease, it actually monitors the effectiveness of your treatment. So it's very accurate diagnostics. So the first one, take, let me give me an example. So uh, as you walk up to your, as you walk up to your, your toilet, uh, there's two-factor identification, basically it's Bluetooth off your phone, uh, so it knows who you are. As you approach the toilet, you actually step on a scale. As you step on the scale, uh, it takes your weight. As you sit down, there's sensors in the, sensors in the seat that take your blood pressure, look at your pulse wave velocity, uh, take blood oxygen, Basically, all your cardiovascular kind of bioindicators are, are taken uh, when, you, when you do that. When you urinate, uh, what we do, this is where we're really unique, it's like having a urinalysis. So we actually capture the urine before it's diluted into the, into the uh, water in the toilet, and wow. we use spectroscopy. And so we're looking for you know, things that are in your urine that shouldn't be in your urine, like, uh, for example, glucose, if you're talking about diabetes or ketone, 
uh, creatinine, albumin. We're looking at all the different things you would do if you're getting a, you know, you're going into actually uh, uh, to your doctor. You're having a urinalysis, looking for proteins, looking for other things. That information, along with all the other bioindicators, I mean, we're looking at over 100 different bioindicators. We actually build risk models. Uh, and these are medically accepted risk models, you know, you know, and so that tells you basically, are you at, are you at risk or not of these, of these diseases? And there's, there's reference ranges, just that, again, just like a core lab, there's reference ranges for all of these. So probably the simplest one to think about, and it's not really a chronic illness, but it's a leading indicator to that or a contributor is just think about dehydration. That's just the specific gravity of your urine basically how much water to urine the ratio and they're very very clear ratio you know reference levels of when you're hydrated when you're getting dehydrated or when you're clinically dehydrated before it's a problem and so we can measure those very very accurately uh, same of course with hypertension very that's a very well-known scale we're also looking for other other indicators there as well looking for high sodium looking for so there's many many different factors that go in that's very unique for our our capability than what you would get on a single Kind of single use point. Interesting. Wow, that's it. Does a lot. <laughs> you know, initially when I heard, you know, that it's a diagnostic platform that gets put into the into restrooms, I wasn't sure it did all all that essentially. Um, so so you essentially you were meeting with investors and you were helping with their fund. They suggested to work with this company. What was like the the light bulb moment where you said, maybe I should work with this company. Maybe I should, you know, commit to, to, uh, to doing this. Yeah. I mean, what, having, having spent so much time in the, the big box and the point of care diagnostics, one of the biggest challenges of getting into the home or getting to where it's useful, you know, outside of a lab is just making it simple, simplicity, completely simple, passive. It kind of takes the human factor out of it, whether that's a clinician or a, you know, a lab provider or especially the patient again the, the patient doesn't have to do anything all they have to do is go to the bathroom yeah <laughs> everything yeah. else is done and so you don't have to go get to the doctor more. you don't no any nothing i mean it's all the data and it's longitudinal so every time you go i mean just taking a take an example and, and this is like hypertensive i'm hypertensive and i didn't know that I was one of the people that didn't know it until because i'd go to my primary care physician once a year He'd take my blood pressure. Sometimes it'd be high. Sometimes it'd be low. He'd ask me, are you, you know, is your blood pressure? High? No, I don't think so. And so nothing was, you know, nothing was done. I had a really good primary care uh, physician. Finally, one of my moves when I moved from San Diego back here, and he's like, you know what? I don't like the looks of this. You know, go home and track your blood pressure for two weeks. I want you to do it three times a day and then come back and give me that data. I don't have enough data on one visit to make, you know, to see what's going on. And so a simple app took my blood pressure three times a day, come back and he said, oh yeah, you're hypertensive. We got to get you on a course of treatment. Then he used that course of treatment, you know, as we were trying you know, trying the, the drugs to get my blood pressure, you know, stabilized, using the same thing. You need that longitudinal data. You need a history of, of you know, different times of day. You know, if you think about diabetics, of course, the first thing in the morning, the fasting, you know, looking at glucose is the best time to do it, you know, and through the course, so you get this, you get this history of, of all these different bioindicators against these risk factors. And it's simple. You don't have to do anything. That's what, that's what draw me, drew me in. It's like, this is so elegant, so simple. So when <laughs> to, you your doctor, how long would it normally take for that to occur? Like to, for him to get all that data to be able to treat you? 
Well, usually you wouldn't have it, right? Unless they did an, a, a wearable or something, which they barely do. So you'd actually go in, it might take years, you may never find it because you go in and you have your blood pressure taken once. Yeah. You know, and if it was a little on the high side, so it depends on that day. I mean, I look at mine during the course of the day, even then, and I, there's certain points of the day that it was fine. It was in a normal range. It might've been in the elevated range, but it definitely wasn't hypertensive. But then in the, in the afternoon, evening is when it's really high for me. If I'd have been to the doctor then, that's when they would have flagged it. But if, again, that's the difference is you, you can't take one data point. It just, you really need that history of, of data. And normally you can't get those data points. Wow. So th this is really interesting. So, so have you, you, how you plan on commercializing eventually? Does this require FDA approval or not? Yeah, so there's, there's two different versions. So let's call the, the business to consumer, which is the one we've been talking about, which is one that can, can, can go right into your, anybody's house or, you know. And then there's the business to business where you go into like IDNs or primary care physicians, retail clinics, uh, wellness centers in, uh, you know, senior living. That does everything the first one does but it actually has a point of care diagnostics right on board. So you can run assays. And so what's that for is not only for the screening, it's also, or for the early detection is to be able to screen people during the year. So you can actually do a test. You can chronic kidney disease. If you have your hypertensive and you're diabetic, you're likely going to get, you know, you're going to have a high likelihood of chronic kidney disease. So your doctor would, would normally, uh, you know, depending on your progression, either once or twice a year would screen you for chronic kidney disease. You can do that now. You don't have to go to the doctor. You don't have to go to the coroner. lab. You can actually do that screening, you know, right in a, for example, an assisted living center, right in their bath. They don't have to do anything. If, if, you know, they just have to go to the restroom and actually get the, get the result. Same wow. with cardiovascular disease. Same if you think about COVID-19. We have panels of SARS, uh, you know, it's, uh, we can actually detect, you know, and do, do testing there. But it's, it's lab accurate. You know, it's, it's anywhere from antibody-based to real-time PCR-based uh, diagnostics. Well, what I love about this is that you can get multiple data points per day as opposed to just, you know, just one. Yep. So it's, you're getting, like, more effective treatment, more personalized treatment. So that's what I like about yeah, it. And, it, and even, even if you do end up having a, a, you know, a chronic disease, or you can actually monitor the effectiveness of it. Right. So take, for example, a diabetic, if they're not managing their insulin, you're going to see they're all over the place. And a doctor can look at that and say, wow, you're not managing your, you know, managing your, you know, you're not basically following your, your treatment plan. You know, same with hypertension. If you're all over the place and you're on a drug, you can say this drug isn't working. You know, we need to actually make some changes to the, you know, to your course of treatment so that we can actually maintain your, you know, maintain your wellness. Uh, why do you feel like this isn't, um, more commercially available. <clears throat> I mean, like things like this, because I feel like we, we rely somewhat, we somewhat rely too heavily on doctors and, you know, waiting and hoping to get called back by a doctor eventually. Like, why do you think this isn't more available if that's such a big problem? Yeah, it, it is starting to become available. So there are new three new reimbursement codes that are in place that actually make it make it feasible for a, a physician to actually prescribe, a, for example, a, 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 wear, a cuff that you wear, you know, the, a wearable for measuring your blood pressure. So it's, you know, it's basically taking your blood pressure, sending the data back, but you're only getting one, you're only getting one data point hmm. and it's quite expensive there. And it's, you know, so it, it's not still not giving you the full array of what you can, you know, what you can, and very few people are doing it by the way. 
they still still are not actually taking the the wearables. I mean, the simplest of all is the Apple, right? The Apple Watch and our EKG. They just got, you know, for uh, you know, just got FDA approval for you know for that. And uh, you know, so they're 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 available, but they're just single points. It doesn't still doesn't give the a physician enough information to be able to do anything about it. What's changed is we just our technology does it all. It does it all in one platform, both cardiovascular, diabetes, hypertension, yeah. chronic kidney disease, urinary tract infections, BPH for men, you know, and then all this is just, it's a, it's truly a universal uh, uh, instrument. And by the way, on the, the, the class one device, the one that we talked about earlier, the consumer one, it's, it's free. There's no cost to the, every time you go to the bathroom, you basically have the cost of the, the data subscription, which is minuscule. How much is the data subscription usually? It, it, if there's different plans for an individual, it could be as, as low as $12 a month, or you could pay it annually for families where you can have up to five people. Uh, it's like $30 a month, you know, anywhere from 20 to 30. It depends on the level of diagnostics and prediction you want. And how much would it cost to go just to, to, uh, just to a doctor? How much would it cost to do all the tests that your device provides? How much? Well, it would, it would cost a lot. You know, it's, uh, you know, a lot of it's covered by, you know, covered by your insurance, but you still, I mean, We've been doing a lot of health and economics research on that. And these people are still spending out of, out of pocket beyond their insurance that they're, you know, going, they're sp still paying, well, you know, north of a thousand dollars a year, you know, just for the, for the copays and the, you know, the, the, I mean, the bad course of treatments that, uh, you know, they're on as well. So. Now th th you're going to make this commercially viable to uh, facilities, but are you going to make it viable to individuals? Like if, can they just buy your device? They can. Yeah, so our, you have, we have the two versions. We have the class one, which is basically replaces your toilet. So you can, you can go to Lowe's, Home Depot. Wow. Uh, we have channel partners, actually, that are, I'm not going to say who they are because they're investors, on, you know, that are kind of the top toilet manufacturers and, you know, that are kind of on the, um, that will, you know, that, of course, this will be part of their platforms, but well, but we get the channel. You can buy e-commerce. If you go to Maynard's or whatever, you can just go online, Amazon. And you can buy it as well. So wow, what, but aren't you guys? Are you guys are pre-revenue right now, right? Or we are, we are. Okay. So we're we're Series A. So we're we're raising now. Our this first product will, is is scheduled to be out at Q4 of 2021. So we're about a year yeah. and a half away from first commercial product uh, there. About a year later for the B2B version that has the full diagnostic class two. So it's a little longer regulatory cycle. Uh, so it'll be about a year, uh, a year sure. lag, uh, from that. So. Got it. Got it. Yeah. I feel like, uh, we need more things like this. The, the, the healthcare system to some extent is very archaic, you know, and, um, and it's still stuck in, in the past, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, devices like this that are brought to the forefront are definitely very, very helpful. Um, so you, you mentioned you you were, uh, you're hypertensive, right? Um, uh, when did you find out, when did you find that out? And do you feel like if you had this device that you would have caught it earlier and you probably could have treated it better? Yeah. I mean, I found out about, let's see, it was about probably four years ago, but I, I'm sure I'd had it for many, many years. It, it runs in my family. I should know all, you have all the indicators, right? Of, <laughs> yeah. But it was, it just never popped up, but you don't feel anything. It's not like you have any symptoms when you're, you know, when you have hypertension. So other than just going for your physical every year and looking at, you know, getting your blood pressure taken, maybe doing your cholesterol. Well, you could have like a change in energy, right? Maybe. What's that? You could have a change in energy, maybe. 
with hypertension? Yeah, I mean, it's different for different people, but I didn't, it, to me, it's like I have no, I, I get headaches in the back of my head now and again, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't attribute that to, you know what I mean, to being yeah. hypertensive. Yeah. Had I had this, I'd, of course you'd have known right away because, you know, there's, there's very clear scales of when you're, you know, uh, when you're pre-hypertensive or hypertensive and, and since you're, ma it's getting measured every time, every day, <laughs> you know, you're going to, I mean, very quickly, you're going to, you would, it would alert you actually that you, you know, you're hypertensive and that you need, you know, recommend that you go see your, your uh, physician, the physician would have the data as well. So they'd see it and they'd be alerted as well uh, to it. So, I mean, that's the whole point of this, the, the product is to early detection prevention, you know, through early detection is the best cure, but you got to know about it. You know, you got to know about it so you can do something about it. Yeah, definitely. You have to be proactive about your health. It's totally 100% true. You said you found out four years ago. Was it, you said four? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. When did you, so how did that go, uh, how did that come about? Did you, how did you find that out? Did you go, go to the doctor and then you were, and you were very surprised when he mentioned you had hypertension or was it that you just felt weird or you, you, you were, I don't know, you just had symptoms and you went to the uh, doctor and to find out what they were? what was causing them? No, I actually had, I was in San Diego at the time and I had a primary care physician there and it was, uh, it just wasn't working. Just really not, not very good care. So I, I still had a home in, in Utah, because uh, I've moved all over with the different uh, roles. And I came back and got a new primary care physician here and I just went in for my annual physical. And he was very, very proactive. He's, my, my blood pressure was high at the time. He's like, you know, I just, I don't like the looks of this. Again, yeah. I'm just going to run some more, you know, let's, and he's a, he just took proactively said, Hey, can you just, just do this, just measure, you have a blood cuff. If not, I'll give you one. But if you do just, and I did, I'm like, just, just measure it, you know, three times a day, morning, you know, lunchtime. And before you go to bed, just keep that information, just write it on a piece of paper if you want or however you want to do it. And then come back in two weeks and let's just take a look at it. And so that's, I mean, that's what I did. And so, you know, it was very clear even for myself after a week of, <laughs> of measuring it that, uh, you know, there was, there was something need to, you know, needed to change. And I was, I was, I'm not as healthy now, uh, but at the time I was actually quite healthy, which was even more concerning because I was exercising, you know, exercising every day and, you know, right. cardio and weight. And it you was don't still feel high, to do with so. your, You don't feel it had anything to do with your diet or anything like that? Oh, of course, you know, but, but again, at the time, my diet, my exercise, I was, you know, I was 25 pounds lighter than I am now and working out an hour a day, you know, and my, my food have, I'm always been a pretty good eater. I don't eat fatty foods or, you know, I'm always watching my cholesterol and other things. So I'm kind of health conscious that way. Eat a lot of, you know, a lot yeah. of greens and fish and things like that. Just that's my, what I like to do. But uh, so again, that was even more concerning because it was, you know, it wasn't that I wasn't healthy at the time and it wasn't, I wasn't eating right. It was, you know, uh, so, so. Anyway. Yeah. Do, do you feel like a lot of people that start medical device companies or are leaders or medical device companies usually have a personal issue that they want resolved and, and they tend to work in companies that tend to resolve that issue? Boy, I think they do. I mean, I'm going to look at my, I feel my, like it's different. Myself, yeah. It may not be them individually. It may be somebody in their family. I mean, I, I example, I mean, I'm a purpose driven industry. I've worked in medical devices and diagnostics my whole career, which is 27 years, you know, Wow. And it was the, per, you know, everything from HIV, you know, finding cures for HIV to, you know, and devices to, you know, prevent the, you know, prevent the spread to, in the life sciences side, it was really, I had, uh, we, I grew up in, 
most of my life in southern Utah, and there was the downwinders. I don't know if you've heard of that, but when they did the atomic uh, testing in the 60s and 70s, all the radiation would, would go into the, you know, uh, in the surrounding states there and the kind of uh, areas. And my family was part of this. So I had a very, very high prevalence of, of cancer in my, my family and a lot of deaths and even young, even sister-in-laws and others that have ended up, you know, getting cancer. So I was very driven to, to work on cancer therapy, to make cancer like uh, HIV is now almost a chronic disease, right? Before it was a death sentence. Now it's, you know, with antivirals, you can, it's, it's very controllable and people can go about living normal lives. I think yeah. it's going to be the same with cancer, but especially in our lifetime, because I've already seen it in the, uh, as the, some of the cell therapy and, uh, you know, uh, gene editing, you know, technologies that I've worked on in my, in my career. So it exists. They just aren't, you know, in the U.S. Like, hasn't done to. Are you talking about like CRISPR, the CRISPR um, technology? Uh, CRISPR is part of it, but I mean, just cell, you know, cell therapy in general, just programming CAR T cells and others, you know, it's, uh, there's, I think, two that are on the market through the FDA now, but outside the U.S. is very prevalent. <laughs> Example, my mother-in-law passed away of multiple myeloma, which is a blood-based cancer, no cure. There's, there's no cure for, I mean, there's even, there's no treatment. You're just, there's nothing you can really do about it. You can try to, try to kind of prolong the, you know, progression, but there's just nothing to kind of stop it. Like there is another, like breast cancer, or you can use radiation or other, you know, her to other, other, uh, you know, therapies to, you know, to recover. We worked on a cell therapy, you know, a CAR T cell uh, technology with a group in uh, King's College in the UK that actually had a five years post Post uh, taking the therapy, there was roughly about 90 individuals that were part of that. They were all stage four cancer with multiple myeloma. Only two relapsed. Everybody else had, was completely clear. So it, it exists. It just, there's a lot of risk associated with it. So there's long regulatory cycles and hurdles to get to that. So it, it does exist. So, but the point being, I was passionate about, you know, personally about, you know, having cancer being so prevalent in my, in my family is working on you know, cures for that. So I think people in medical device and diagnostics, I absolutely, I think they're purpose driven. I think that's, they're actually trying to, you know, uh, do better things for, you know, for people and also their own families. How, how close are we uh, to uh, being able to diagnose cancer in the way that you, you've uh, flushed out? Um, and how, how, how long before we have a cure for it, do you think? Well, it depends on, of course, on the cancer, but uh, we already have quite a few, you know, they're just very expensive and, you know, tied up in, in the regulatory cycle. So it really depends on the, on the cancers. Uh, but er detection, let's separate the two, detection and cure, you know, the, you know, taking care of the cancer or curing the cancer. Yeah, both, yeah. So, yeah de detection is, I mean, half the battle. The hard, yeah. the hard part about detection is, your 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 own antibodies or your own immune system takes care of a lot of cancer. So to be able to type somebody or like at an early stage, like stage one or early, you have cancer in your blood right now. If you go around a test, you'll play, everybody does, right? But your immune system, you know, manages manages that. So it's hard to say. That's the that's kind of the clinical dilemma. It's hard to say if you know a person just because they have cancer in their you know circulating tumor cells, for example, uh, through your blood, if they would ever have cancer. Mm. So, you know, even stage two, even stage two and high do your, your immune system takes care of that. Unfortunately, it isn't until you're past that and you really do contract head cancer that you can, you know, you can type it. So there's a ton of, there's, you know, billions of dollars of, of investment going into solving that problem, you know, is trying to get that early detection 
uh, you know, cap you know, capabilities. So the earlier we can detect, just like our device, right? The earlier you can detect it, the sooner you can do something about it before, before it's, you know, you're actually in a late, later stage cancer. Yeah. Carrying it is a lot further along because it's again, using the same thing. It's using, you know, uh, basically uh, gene editing of cell or, you know, cell therapy yeah. where you know exactly what you're trying to target. You use your, your own cells or your own immune system or, you know, to actually go, go take care of, you know, to take care of those cancers. And so there, there's, there's products on the market. Now the problem is, is they're very expensive, right? They're, yeah. they, they prevent the many, many, you know, months and, you know, the, the, you know, millions of dollars of, of, you know, treatments, but with one or two dose, but the doses are a couple of million dollars to, you know, to be able to do so. So, so, so how, how, uh, how long before gene editing can actually solve the problem of cancer? Do you think like if you were to give like a rough estimate, five, 10 oh, years, our, definitely in my lifetime, I would hopefully before I have it, but <laughs> I would say within it's already happening. So there's already cure that, you know, depending on the cancers that are, that are there now. Wow. I would say within the next 10 to 15 years, there's, there'll always be, there'll always be, you know, there'll always be anomalies that, you know, that aren't, aren't curable, but the people will still be working for, but the mainstream cancers, you know, will be, you know, will definitely have, have yeah. uh, cures in place. So, so, uh, medic life, is this like a, a lifetime journey for you or is this, is this eventually going to be an exit for you or like, what, what are your plans with the, this company that you're working with now? Yeah, so the, the plans are to exit within three years. So okay. it's uh, really to stand it up. It's been a technology company with kind of missing the strategy and actually the, the market kind of market data to kind of validate the, the, the need and willingness to pay and all that. And so we that's really what I've done is come in and really put a clear strategy in place, you know, done the qualitative and quantitative market research, the pricing studies, worked with partners from channel to just to get a a, a strong, uh, you know, go to market and product roadmap, how to, you know, how to get there. And now we're really in that execution. It's the technology risk has been, it's, <laughs> there's very little technology risk. Now it's all execution risk. Uh, just because the, 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 uh, where this technology came from was uh, Hall Labs, which basically it's an incubator in Utah. Uh, the, the founder would actually is the one that invented the uh, artificial diamond. Uh, Edison Labs in New Jersey. He left, came out uh, to Utah, wanted to start an Edison Labs here. Uh, he did, ended up branching off into different uh, artificial diamonds for drilling and other things and, you know, did very well and wanted to just spend his, his time and money on creating disruptive technologies for in, in many different places, the really, really hard problems like this one that haven't been able to be solved. And so they spent years developing the technology uh, developing the data models, the algorithms, the intellectual property. I mean, the, if you look at the IP portfolio around this, it's phenomenal for a, a, a Series A company at this stage. I mean, it's just it's phenomenal actually to have that uh, you know that level of coverage and seminal IP things that make it very very hard for others to try to follow. You know, moving in, it's very rare. What hasn't been there is the is just the strategic thinking and getting the you know, an organization in place that with the, with the regulatory capability, with the, the ability to be able to get this to market. And that's where we are now. So. Do you feel like uh, people in the health, healthcare industry or life science space, they're a little bit more sophisticated than the average um, CEO in other industries, just because the, the, the approval process takes so long 
um, the educational component that's attached to it is just extensive, but you, you, you have to, uh, do you feel like that there, there, that you have to be a little bit more sophisticated regarding business, uh, to be able to break into the healthcare market? Do you feel? No, you just have to be smart about how you manage your risk like anything else. It's, you know, it's, I mean, if you look at our, our portfolio, there's a reason we're going into, you know, kind of the minimally viable product getting into market quick because the class one device, very, very impactful, very accurate on diagnosis, but also very, very quick through the, through the FDA, lots of predicate devices so we can go through. So that's by design. Uh, it's very easy to generate the collateral, you know, information for people to say, for physicians and others to say, wow. I mean, because it's, it's real-time data versus where we're taking baselines from individuals, you know. So it's very easy to create the, you know, the, 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 the clinically relevant data for people to make purchase decisions on or, you know, have an opinion, you know, towards. Yeah. But that's by design. If right. we go into the business-to-business model, which is more like a, you know, a traditional point of care instrument, but does many, many assays, that's a very hard thing, right? You're at a class two, again, very clear predicates, but it's a much more rigorous uh, regulatory cycle. And it's, and it's, it's a little more challenging too on the go to market, you know, to, you know, uh, uh, you know, to, to have the data, the data to be able to kind of back up just like any other device, you know, any other diagnostic device. You talked about qualitative versus quantitative data. Um, what what data did you gather that helped you decide to work with this company or uh, that uh, helped you kind of create a strategy to commercialize? Yeah, I mean, one of the, the first thing before I, they actually offered me the job, I said, all I need to do two weeks, give me a couple of weeks to do diligence on the company. It looks great from the outside, but I want to see what's under the covers, you know, and, yeah. and it just so happened at the time they were, there was a company looking to acquire them. So they had a data room and uh, kind of a lot of information available to be able to dive into, you know. And so it didn't take long to, to, you know, going through that to understand, you know, that definitely is an opportunity, but what was missing was the the independent market-driven data that kind of backed that up. Yeah. And so that was the first thing coming in. It's like, all right, I just having done this for so many years, I know that, I know there's a, I know the problem hasn't, it's not easily solved. There's not clear substitutes. There's not all the things you want. The market's big and growing. It's relevant, like all the things that you look at from a, a market, but there's no independent data. So I, I, I've worked with a company, uh, company OSG in the past, optimal strategic groups out of Philadelphia. So they do tons of qualitative, you know, as well as quantitative, uh, you know, research around uh, really the relative importance of different benefits, uh, price feature, elasticity, uh, willingness to pay, adoption, all those things that again, in the, in the target markets that we're, we're going after. So that when I, as I sit down with an investor, it's not just me or saying that this is what I think, right? And this is our hypothesis. We actually have the kind of the market driven data to say, look, here's the, you know, here, here's the, you know, where the adoption, here's where the pricing, here's why we, our portfolio looks the way it is, the way our, you know, we're targeting this market over the others. It actually has the, you know, the independent market data to kind of back that up. How many medical products do you feel like are, are commercially viable that would help a lot of patients that haven't been approved by the FDA yet, but have shown obvious signs of efficacy? Do you feel like that's a problem? Um, now, I understand everything has to be regulated. Um, you know, you can't put bad products onto the market, but do you feel like there's a lot of uh, medications or uh medical devices that have shown efficacy that haven't been put on the market because of the long process, the wrong, long drawn out process. 
Yeah, not so much. Uh, well, I mean, there's some PMA devices that are that take really long, you know, that, uh, you know, in cardiovascular and others, but I would say in general, medical and diagnostics can get through quite easily, especially with CLIA. We just saw it with COVID-19, right? Because most labs are CLIA labs, meaning you don't have to go through the regulatory kind of hurdles. You just have to validate your, you know, your process and, you know, yeah. control that, make sure that it's continuous. So those, those are, you can, you can navigate those quite easy and they're, they're very well known. Where it's, a, where it's a problem right now is what we were talking about earlier is the cell therapies, the gene therapies, the other, yeah. they're just, U.S. is so far behind because we're so, we're so uh, risk averse on, you know, getting through, it just takes forever and a tremendous amount of, of capital to be able to get through the, you know, the regulatory cycle. So, so what ends up happening and uh, is similar to the, the companies I've worked for, we go outside of the U.S. to do all of our studies. Hmm. You know, so we actually generate the data so that we can actually get wow. to the patient populations we need to, and then have the data to come back to be able to do some of our finds. And it still takes forever. It still takes forever to, to get through. So that, that's where they're, you know, that's the uh, kind of the, the challenge with our regulatory process right now is more in the, uh, you know, in the cell therapies and the, you know, gene therapy areas, which there, there is higher risk, you know, associated with those, but there's also higher much higher outcomes, you know, from a, from a therapeutic standpoint. Yeah, definitely. Um, so gene therapy. So do you feel like your medical device will be used in tandem with some gene therapies eventually? Like, do you feel like, you know, you, you get this data, like a week's uh, worth of data, and then, you know, the diagnostic platform tells you, you have very uh, severe hypertensive, you know, symptoms. Um, and then, you'll be able to change a gene or whatever the case may be, and it will resolve the issue. Do you feel like it will be that quick? Like, do you feel like there'll be technology where you get diagnosed and then you can fix it right away with some type of gene technology? Yeah, I mean, I, definitely. I mean, that's our, our strategy is, is they're all biomarkers, right? Biomarkers are used for, yeah. uh, for two things. is to find out if you have it, you know, predict if you have a disease. And the second piece is to make sure the therapy you're taking is, uh, doing and our, our our second platform has that capability. I mean, everything, all of our multiplexed assays are are based on, you know, six to ten biomarkers that we're you know tracking. So, so would that be helpful for for a pharma company developing a gene therapy or cell therapy? Of course it would. They're going to use that not only for, you know, upfront for doing drug discovery and developing. I mean, what a better platform than have people as part of that study just use the bathroom every day, right? You're just you're monitoring those biomarkers. Same on the same on the other side is you know the effectiveness of it. Same thing. You're just using the same biomarkers to actually say, all right, are we maintaining or are we seeing changes in their you know in their therapy? So it, that's not our primary market right now. Just but that is, it's 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 that was where we would go second. I mean, if you look at our website, you'll actually see that on our website. That so primary markets right now are really getting after the you know the, the challenge of a lot of the chronic and preventable illnesses right now. Uh, Secondary to that, we'll, we'll move into more of the biomarker, you know, uh, side of things with the pharma, with pharma and diagnostics, uh, early, you know, discovery side. Once you guys commercialize, what do you think you'll do in, in revenue in uh, 2021, 2022? If, if you don't. Yeah, know. I mean, we just will only have one quarter in 2021. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, we'll be, uh, we'll be cash flow positive, you know, I'm saying here from 12 to 18 months after launch of the product. Uh, we have. 
just because we have such a, we have three different areas. Not only do we have the, 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 the cost of the, the toilet, but we also have the data subscriptions, not only for the user, but also for the physicians, you know. Uh, we also have service contracts, we have assays, so we have consumables. Many of those are very, very high GP products. And so it doesn't take long to, you know, see the, the you know, the challenge for us is to get the installed base, to get the data, generating the data. So get these toilets placed. And then it changes very quickly to the, you know, to the, to the value of uh, uh, that comes with the, the high GPS. So, I mean, it, it, very, very conservatively year, you know, uh, uh, end of year three, let's say, where we've got at least a year of tr traction in the market. I mean, our, our current forecast right now, we're, we're well north of, a, of 100 million, uh, five year, much, much higher than that. So it's a, it's a you know, if you look at, uh, uh, I guess you haven't seen our pitch deck yet, you know, yeah, but very, very low, even very, very low adoptions into our target markets, uh, very, very high ROI uh, on, on the business as well. So, so let's talk about why uh, the, the investors chose you to be the CEO. Like, what was your background? What, what attracted them to you uh, to be able to run this company? Yeah, I, I think number one is just because as they were giving the tour of their 15 incubator companies or the companies that they were, this is, they were, uh, Medic wasn't an incubator. They're actually later, much later stage with two or three of their other businesses. But I spent half my day just asking them questions and diving in not only to the market, but the product, you know, the technology, because I, I back, you know, I run very large R&D organizations around the, around the world in life sciences and diagnostics. I think it was just the, you know, as I was, they, they saw the, just the, the knowledge that I had about the market, about the technology, about the applications themselves. Uh, and they, they saw a gap in, you know, their, their current, current path, you know, that they were, they were on right now and they needed, needed that capability. It also helped that the investors uh, that were, that I was there with, uh, you know, are also investing in their, they have a venture fund, a different venture, they're raising another fund. And I've worked with those venture companies uh, quite a bit in the past and have a lot of credibility there. And so the, you know, the word of mouth that came through, you know, came through that was, uh, I think, also very helpful. So. Wonderful. So I know you have a hard stop soon, uh, Chad. Uh, so if an investor is listening to this, we'll probably have around 1,000 to 2,000 investors listen to this podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, if somebody's listening to this, how, how can they get a hold of you? How can they reach out to you? Yeah, the, the easiest way is they can reach out uh, either off, off of our web website, www.medic.life. Uh, they can email me directly, uh, chad.adams at medic.life, or uh, they can reach out to me. I mean, uh, uh, they can, my, uh, directly at the number 801. Um, uh, I've got a new number here. It's a new company, so I don't call myself. So, um, 801-556-9254. Okay. You call me directly, so. Okay, great. Awesome. Okay. Uh, you know, it's great that you shared your uh, personal contact information. I'm not sure if that's uh, uh, ideal, but, you know, let me know if you want to ever take that off. So, um, I mean, I don't know what you, let me know. I mean, the easiest way is just to go right to our website. Okay. It's all good. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll we'll keep that in. And, uh, and then just let me know what your thoughts are, you know, in the future. And uh, we'd love to converse with you again uh, on another podcast. That would be great. And see kind of updates, maybe like a, six months from now, a year from now. Yeah, um, but, uh, but yeah, so just for the investors that are listening to this, Chad's going to be presenting at uh, my uh, virtual venture conference. Uh, so if you'd like to come to that, 
please go to uh, capconevent.com forward slash virtual and then uh, use the promo code VIP investor. All right. Well, thank you so much, Chad, again. I really appreciate it and look forward to talking with you soon. Yep. Great.